Welcome to the Fem Nation Podcast, where we wholeheartedly believe women entrepreneurs can rise together. Success comes in many flavors. There are no secret strategies. Women entrepreneurs are rewriting history by defining success on their own terms. Hi, I'm White of Gannon, the down-to-earth chick with a different name. Entrepreneur and founder of the Female Entrepreneur Movement, our business is dedicated to helping women start and grow their businesses, increasing financial independence. Each week, join me for inspiring stories and powerful interviews of women entrepreneurs sharing their lessons to success to help you take your business to the next level. Now, let's go for it. Welcome back to the Fem Nation podcast. Today, I have an amazing guest, Shelly Varela, who is a possibility hacker and story alchemist. And I am so excited that you're on the podcast today, Shelly. Thanks for coming on. It is my greatest pleasure. Thank you for having me. So let's start the conversation with where did your journey start with you? Um, well, I was born at a very young age. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I, uh, my entire life, I have been uh, a storyteller. I have not, though, always been an entrepreneur. So, you know, when I was a kid, I was growing up super shy, really, really introverted, deep thinker. And my parents had moved us from the country to the city. And, um, you know, I was not at all prepared for that. And and my reality, you know, went from bouncing around in a big yellow school, bu- school bus and climbing trees and all of the country stuff mm-hmm. um, to concrete jungle and, um, you know, just really not not fitting in. And at that school and, and subsequently the school after it, I got bullied and beaten and berated. And what happened to me, though, is I, compl- I became completely insular. You know, I, I just, I, I realized that I, I didn't feel like I was welcome or wanted anywhere. And mm. um, it was horrible. And it went on for a period of time. And, uh, you know, I remember coming home from school one day and my mom saying to me, um, did you get beaten up at school today? And I was really embarrassed. And I said, no. And she goes, your, your sister told me you got beaten up at school today. And if that happens again, don't come home. Wow. And what she, what she was trying to instill was her or to echo her experience where when she was bullied, she fought back and everybody left her alone. But I wasn't that kid. So what happened was I just, um, I developed this incredible imagination that, that um, allowed me to not only cope, but to survive. And, you know, you'll often hear me say, not all gifts come wrapped in a bow. And this was definitely one of those situations because in my mind, I developed this ability to to physically feel like I was wherever I was imagining. Um, viscerally, I knew what it smelled like, tasted like, sounded like, and I would um, I would use that as a coping mechanism. You know, when people were throwing erasers at me or telling me that I was stupid and that I was ugly and that nobody liked me. Moving forward, though, you know, I, I really was a kid that kept to myself, and I was into art and special effects, makeup, and definitely writing. And anything I could basically do by myself. And subsequently, the world had labeled me an artist. Mm. And so as I, uh, as I transitioned through the end of high school, all of my friends knew who they were and where they were going and the schools they would attend and how many kids they'd have and all of that kind of stuff. And I was like still that anxious, bullied kid. And what happened was I'm looking for, you know, what could be a career and nothing felt right. And I kept looking inside the label of artists, because that's what the world told me I was. And one of the things I tell people now is just be mindful of 
of your labels because that's what you enjoy. It's not who you be. Right. So I definitely learned that lesson the hard way. So, you know, fast forward, I'm, I'm, I'm an anxious kid. I'm trying to figure out what's my path going to be, you know, artist, this job, artist, that job, nothing felt quite right. Had a very serendipitous meeting with, uh, with a family friend named Steve, who's going through a horrible time. And, um, he was fighting for custody of his two-year-old little girl. So he would have her for the weekend and then have to give her back and he would fall apart. Mm. So because I, my life was in turmoil and I was trying to figure out like, what am I going to do? I had nothing, nothing else to do, nowhere to be. So every second weekend I would show up at his house and I would just try to keep him talking after Kristen went home. And the one thing that he could talk about forever was his job as a firefighter. Mm-hmm. And he would share these incredible stories of rescues and, you know, dramatic fires. I'm like, buddy, that's your, that's your job. Something interesting happened though. Like I just got switched on. And, you know, when you can pause what the world tells you, you are, or you aren't and tap into what you know to be true for yourself, Mm -hmm. something very magical happens because, um, I was outside of logic and I was in, you know, just the energy of like, what is true for me right now? And I would have never known otherwise that I had a very natural mechanical aptitude because the world had labeled me an artist. I was looking only for artist things. And so I kept showing up and I was enthralled in and enraptured with all of these stories he had hanging off his every word. He became one of my most trusted um, mentors and um, his stories turned to lessons because he simply ran out of stuff to say. And one day we were driving in his truck. And um, we pull up next to this tractor trailer and on the back of it, it had a dangerous goods label. And I'm still, though, inside that shy, bullied, um, insecure kid. And I remember thinking to myself, I know what that is because I've been listening to everything he says, but I didn't have the confidence to say it. So instead, I asked him. And when he responded with the wrong answer, I corrected him. And without missing a beat, he looks me straight in the eye and he said, Shelly, why don't you just apply to be a firefighter? And this was 28 years ago. There was no girls in firefighting. Mm. I was 108 pounds. I was working at my mom's manicure salon. And I just said, dude, like, like, look at me. I'm not big enough or brave enough, smart enough, strong enough. There's no girls in firefighting. It was one of the most ridiculous things I'd ever heard. But I trusted him. I trusted him more than any human being. And he, he looked me square in the eye and he's like, there's going to be a girl one day. Why wouldn't it be you? Mm-hmm. Right. And I don't know if you've ever had a day where you're driving around and you arrive somewhere and you have no recollection of getting there. You're just kind of in a daze. My entire day was like that. But at the end of the day, I couldn't stop thinking about this. I'm lying in my bed. I'll never forget it. Looking up at my white stippled ceiling. And I said three words that changed literally the rest of my life. And those words were why not me. Yep. And when I heard myself say them, it was like something switched. And from that moment, it didn't matter what it cost me in blood, sweat, money, time, or tears. I was going to become a firefighter. I didn't know how. I was completely inappropriate for it. No skills, no, like nothing, nothing related to being a firefighter. But I said, yes, I led with possibility, not logic. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I led with that feeling because there is that zero point when you're, when your body tells you the truth, but we're so trained to not listen to it. We're so trained when we get that <gasps> excited feeling to go, well, yeah, but what about, what are the odds that would happen? What is the logic that I could pull it off? Have I ever seen it before? What is the evidence of it? And we tune it out. Mm. 
And yes. we're trained, we're trained to do that from the time, especially women from the time we're little girls. And they're tiny micro comments or observations that we observe throughout our life. And it's like grain of sand, grain of sand, grain of sand. Yeah. And then one day you look up and you realize I'm standing in the middle of a freaking beach. And I put myself out of the game before I actually even entertained if I if it's a game that maybe I perhaps want to play. Right. So, you know, long story short, um, I, I built the physical in my backyard. I failed at it again and again, blood, sweat, puke tears, the whole nine yards. I learned to drive a truck for state CPR, all of the skills. And in 1,162 days, I got a phone call welcoming me aboard as my city's first female firefighter. Oh my gosh. That's dedication though. That it, I mean, a thousand. But the thing is though, you know, not all gifts come wrapped in a bow. And if yeah. any of, of your amazing listeners are going through that thing, where you're like, this, this is a struggle. This right here is a struggle. The reason I was able to stay that focused is not because I'm amazing. It's not because I have this incredible ability. It's because that bullied kid had to feel what it felt like to um, circumvent your current circumstances and feel what the end result is going to feel like not just think about it but what is that phone call going to feel like so every day when my body was so full of lactic acid and beaten and broken and bruised and i had to log roll out of bed to go pee i knew what that phone call was going to feel like i could feel it i practiced feeling it every single night i knew exactly what that phone call was going to feel like was that motivation for you it was it was um i learned later you know it's vibrational alignment i was aligned Mm -hmm. with the end And the reason I was is because I didn't know anything, but I knew Steve knew and I knew he wouldn't lie to me. Mm -hmm. Um, So once I had achieved that, like set that goal, felt that feeling, I knew that it was achievable. I knew it was repeatable. And so I've used that same process again and again and again. And so now what I do is I teach entrepreneurs about story not only telling their story, but first healing the storyteller so that they can tell the story, so that they can, you know, uncover the hurty bits and and find that through line, that um, that confidence and that truth of why whatever it is you're doing in the world, why you and what is your why? Like, what is the reason why you're doing it? Because everybody has a story and uh, and your story has the ability to literally change somebody's life. And it happens in a microsecond. Absolutely. And I firmly believe that we are, we are 150% called to lead the charge for what, the change that we are supposed to make by being here. And some people feel it. Some people walk into it. There's many different ways, but more people need to step into owning it as well, but they don't know how. So what you do is uncovering that story so that they can step more into the alignment of being able to change what needs to be changed. Yeah, because, you know, I primarily work with uh, entrepreneurs, authors, speakers, coaches, people like that. And in what I tell people is, um, you know, if you're talking to everybody, you're talking to nobody, but so many people, you know, want to cast that super wide net Mm -hmm. because they have a gift that they know is going to really help people. So they'll go, you know, a mile wide and an inch deep but my suggestion is go an inch wide and a mile deep because when you do, when you're unadulteratedly, that's not a word, <laughs> yourself, 
um, you become like a beacon in the light for, for other people where they're like, oh, there you are. I've been looking for you. you. Yeah. And, and oftentimes it's, it really is, you know, like people will say to me, well, I don't have a fancy firefighting story like you do, Shelly. And I tell people that they, um, they don't like my story because of what it is. Like it might have some interesting details maybe, but it's the way I structured it. And most um, life altering stories for the audience are uh, built around one simple phrase. And that phrase is, and then I realized. And the most powerful stories come from just a small observation or a slight tweak or something tiny that happened in your life that changed, you know, there was a before and an after, and it doesn't have to be profound. Like, Oh, I got hired as a firefighter. It could be as simple as, and then I decided I didn't want to take it anymore. Or, and then I decided I was good enough. You know, or then I realized everybody has a second chance, whatever that is. It's mm-hmm. that small moment of awareness and consciousness when you shine a light on the dark, hurty bits and you're like, hmm. Do you find that there's a possibility that a lot of people have layers that they think that they don't have the dark, hurty bits? or maybe they've suppressed them to some degree. And I know it's not therapy, but um, even outside of therapy, well, talk is therapy to some degree, but even outside of an actual therapist dealing with things like that to uncover it, by starting to uncover the story, then they start realizing maybe they do have a story to tell when they had written off the fact that they they didn't have a rags to riches or they didn't have some groundbreaking something that was life-changing for their community or whatever it is, but do you find that many entrepreneurs write it off because they don't think they have one? Yes. So I find people think they either don't have one because some of the most powerful stories happen in just like a detail. But when you describe the detail, my definition of story is a story is a snapshot in time, your perspective in that snapshot and what you make it mean. And it is actually the meaning of the story that drives the engine of the entire emotion. As storytellers, you know, and you could say as marketers, but marketing is storytelling. It's articulating your why and your why you. Um, Our job is to elicit emotion. Story is just the vehicle we use to elicit emotion. And my course is called Transformational Story Selling. And oftentimes people will say, you know, well, I don't really want to get caught up on like the selling, the selling part doesn't feel good. And I'll say, well, when I say story selling, my definition of story selling could be, you know, selling a product, but it also could be selling yourself, persuading somebody, influencing somebody, lighting somebody up so that they say something that sounds kind of like, I never thought of it that way. So for me, story selling is the ethical persuasion of an audience towards a transformation that benefits them. Right. Does it end in a transaction? Yeah, a lot of times it does. But there is, you know, to your point, there are so many people that that think they don't have a story, but when they realize how simple it actually is, how simple those moments are, but how profoundly transformational and powerful they are. You know, so many times I'll hear people say, "Oh yeah, I forgot about that because it was just a detail." But when you start to uncover and ask, you know, I have this list I call them my sacred questions. When you start to go through some of those sacred questions, you know, you start to uncover all of these like hidden pieces of the puzzle. And then when you see the true line, you're the through line, you're like, "Oh, I've been doing this my whole life." And it's like, "Yes, you have." 
my background is Native American and and we have something that's called either, you know, your original medicine or your sacred gift. And the idea is that it's that one thing that, you know, you're born to do or teach or share. And if you don't do it, you, your specific human being, don't do it. It will be lost for all time. There is nobody that can replicate it. There is nobody that can do it like you. It has to be given by you. But a lot of people will think that comes as a title or a label. But really, it's not what you do, but rather who you be. And so I say, like, I'm a possibility hacker and a story alchemist. That's what I've been doing from the time I was like, we. Mm-hmm. And it can take a number of shapes. I could teach a course. Um, I've sat curbside with a homeless man, one of the most profound conversations I've ever had. You know, I've spoken on stage in front of 900 entrepreneurs. I've done, but I'm always doing the same, like, it's always the same essence. It's like, my gift is to see your gift and to show it to you so that you can see it and share it. Mm -hmm. What is the reaction that you get from entrepreneurs that you work with that all of a sudden are just like, are able to form that story, go out and share that story and change lives. What is that reaction like? It's usually um, at some point, some sort of tears because of the realization. And I feel like the realization is partly, man, I didn't, I never realized, which that's the, the key to the story. I never realized I had a story, but also when they, when they see themselves start to share it and they watch how that shifts and shapes not only the people that they're creating the transformation for, because here's, here's the thing, you know, like Robert Cialdini wrote a book called Influence, and he talks about the factors of influence, and one of them is the law of reciprocity. And the idea is that if you give something first, as people, we're inclined to want to give something back. Mm-hmm. And when you uncover the, the magic in your story, your sacred gift, your original medicine, and when you first share that vulnerably, Something magical happens in the audience because we are all living in these silos and we're, you know, trying, you know, like we often don't make eye contact and we're always on our phone and, you know, we don't, you know, express ourselves or let our emotions out. And it's everybody's, you know, doesn't want to say the whole true thing. There's something that's true. And then there's the truth. Mm-hmm. Most people have a hard time speaking the truth, their whole truth. But when you speak it first, something happens in in the DNA and the energy of your audience, whereby they hear your story, it lightens their defenses so they can feel that thing that they were always, that that was always bubbling underneath them. And then they want to give that vulnerability back to you. And so what that often sounds like is you being able to open them up so that you can create the transformation. Because when they hear your story, they'll hear yours, but they'll feel theirs. Mm -hmm. And having the ability to watch that effect on other people, when if you trace the route back, some of these amazing entrepreneurs at the beginning didn't think they had a story or thought they had dealt with some stuff that they were maybe sitting on. And it often sounds like healing the storyteller so that they can tell the story. Mm. That's really deep work. I mean, it's very deep work. Talk to me about the label of an of entrepreneur. So that, that itself is a label. And early on in our conversation, that caught me um, because that also is, is a label. And so I know, having worked with, with people, entrepreneurs, that some hold that label a little differently than others. What do you see uh, that particular label do? 
I see the label of entrepreneur create boundaries that need not exist. And the idea in my mind of an entrepreneur is somebody who kicks the crap out of status quo, who does it their own way, who shakes it up, who envisions something that doesn't exist. And by using the label of entrepreneur, I need, I know that people need, you know, a way to maybe quickly explain what they do, but when you get trapped in the label of entrepreneur, it go, it flies in the face of the very thing that you're supposed to do. Right. You know, like many entrepreneurs will, um, you know, the, they'll say, well, here is how a funnel works. And here is how, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, your lead magnet should look. What I would like to suggest is if you didn't know any of the rules and if you were completely ignorant, what do you want to create in the world? And if there was no such thing as logic, if, and, and you could create your perfect, what does that look like? Because I'm here to tell you, you can make it. It's the difference between repetition versus innovation. And well, here's an example. I'm wearing this hat today. I'm wearing this hat because I was out and about and I was doing my thing. And someone said, you shouldn't wear a hat in an interview. And you know, maybe that's true or maybe that isn't maybe that isn't I'm not sure but it's kind of who I am and it's like I'm going to give you all of me but it's like even in in those situations where you know if you're an entrepreneur you're supposed to be able to work from home or have location independence or whatever that is right. even with that there starts to become the norm of what that looks like or what that should look like but if you if you look at somebody like Walt Disney you know I don't know if if many people know this, but Walt Disney and his buddies were riding a sinking ship like they tried and failed and tried and failed and tried and failed. They tried and failed so many times. They're down to their very last chance. And Walt's like, boys, I got it. It's a cartoon mouse. And they're like, are you freaking kidding me, bro? Because, but think about it. At the time, it was ridiculous. Mickey Mouse didn't exist. None of the Disney movies existed. Disneyland didn't exist. Here's this guy at the top of a stinking sinking ship says to his buddies, it's a cartoon mouse. They're like, they're, but they were so out of chances. They're like, all right, buddy, I guess Whatever. we're going with the cartoon mouse. But think about that, right? Because it's so easy to look back and say, well, I knew that there was no Disney world. There was no anything. He knew what he knew, like he knew it. And just like that bullied kid, he's like, no, I, I feel it. Like, I got it. I know that this is true for me. And I know I've never seen it before. And I know it makes no sense to all y'all. However, I can see it. But fast forward to now, all of the fabric of our, our kids' childhoods are based on a Disney movie. Yep. You know, add to that, you know, when there's a, a child who's sick, most of the things they want to do in the world is go to Disney World. What if Walt said no? And who's saying no right now? Exactly. And to your point with that, that entrepreneurship in this boom that we've had of, I mean, being an entrepreneur is, is a lot easier to step into in the last five to 10 years than it has ever been. Um, it's very um, entry level, you know, with the online, the boom of the online world. So with that, entrepreneurship no longer has the thinking of stay, stepping out into the unknown. So each person individually is putting boundaries, like you're saying, around what they're creating and how they're doing it and holding themselves back. Mm -hmm. So they can't actually make the change in the world and also hold on to the, that thought process at the same time. They can't. 
because yes. you're only going to get one or the other. You're exactly. either going to stay inside those boundaries or you're going to choose to be truly an entrepreneur. It's been diluted. The, the, that label has been diluted with boundaries. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 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 Gosh, I could jam on that for a while because I see it so prevalently and and it and it comes down to story. It really does because, and I'm just thinking off the top of my head, because until a, an entrepreneur unravels really the why and um, what they're called to do that, what did you call it? The original... Um, original medicine. The original medicine until they actually get down to that and they will know it on a soul level that that is the right spot. Until then, they will, they will not be at peace internally. They will continue to, to try to learn and move forward, but they will also get a little bit closer and say, okay, a little bit closer. That's almost there, but that's still not quite it. But until they actually do that, they cannot be as powerful as if they would just let go and go all the way in thousand percent because your soul and your unconscious will not allow you to be incongruent and so when someone says here is the here's the formula for your story do x y and z or here are the 10 steps to this or the eight steps to that or here's how you sell and you know i'll speak to women because this is this is um I see this profoundly with women. You know, all of the players in the online world are by and large mostly men. And so when we hear about what selling looks like, first of all, all of those life experiences, grain of sand, grain of sand, that selling feels a certain kind of way. And it feels like, you know, you hear terms like buyer buyer's remorse or, you know, you're taking something away from somebody or used car salesman or whatever. Mm-hmm. The, the connotation around sales itself is very negative. What happens for a lot of women is they have this dream, they have this gift, they have something they want to do and give and serve and people they want to help and a legacy they want to leave and charities they want to support, all of that kind of stuff. And they get excited because they hear about the opportunities that online entrepreneurialism offers. But here's the rub. They will look at and have a template for how the boys sell. And I, I do not mean that disrespectfully, but it's very scarcity. It's very aggressive. It's very um, in a certain way. Your unconscious mind and your soul will not allow you to be incongruent. So here is what usually happens. They will spend good money over bad on tech tools, training, all of the things because they want to hang on to that dream. It's like, well, I just need the silver bullet. I need one more of this or a little more of that. But what happen- what's happening is it's showing up like procrastination or overwhelmed or tired because the truth is if we were to really be able to get under the hood without anybody's you know, defenses or, or resistance, what we would hear is we're never going to sell like that. We're not going to sell like that because it's not who we be. It's not congruent with our souls. And that's why I'm such a fan of uncovering your gifts and telling your story, because my argument is not only should you not sell like that, if that's not how you're authentically wired, which most women are not wired that way. And the women that are that are crushing it in sales are usually doing it in a very masculine way. Oftentimes, mm-hmm. my argument, though, is if you sell your story or sell your story, sorry, tell your story and you use it in a story selling pattern whereby you can influence people and uh, 
and inspire people and motivate them to change and allow your story to be a bridge of possibility, then you have done 99% of the heavy lifting in the sales process. And there is no competition because there is nobody who has your original medicine, your sacred uh-huh. gift. There is nobody who is you. Right. And so it it's so much easier than it has to be. But we can oftentimes easily trick ourselves to say, well, you know, um, you know, I just need you know, more time, more energy. I need a team. I need more tech. I need all of those things. But it is your unconscious protecting you from being incongruent with you, who your soul is meant to be. And I speak to that on a regular basis. I've brought this up on the podcast before that the entrepreneurial model for decades was male dominated. And so the framework of it is is built by men. And the problem that women entrepreneurs are running into is that they're trying to fit their entrepreneurial journey in a masculine model and it doesn't work. Mm. It just, it's not going to work mm. by and large. I'm going to say, I'm not going to say there are outliers that, that it does work for, but like you said, that is, I have said that so many times I haven't tied it in with story just because story is not my, my main thing, but um, my, that's not my area that I specialize in, but I can see where story ties in. I can see where uncovering that because women have to dialogue. Women talk through. Women need to open up that that area. Women used to be much more community-minded and we've moved away from that a couple decades ago when we started having, you know, um, and this is not bad. I'm not saying this is bad, but it separated the time and space where women used to have much more conversation with each other mm-hmm. and be able to sift that stuff out and sort those things out. But we are disconnected to those to a degree. It's coming back because I feel like there's um, been enough time where there's been a struggle inside of the masculine model trying to make it fit that women are saying, okay, no, that doesn't work. Here's the thing. What comes naturally to us is actually our superpower. That connection piece, the connection piece is all of it. Like it's all of it. It's, it's everything to do with being successful with respect to sales and servicing your people and actually giving a crap and making a difference and being able to walk that journey with someone. We're not wired to tell people, if you don't buy my stuff, really bad things are going to happen to you. It's not even true. It's not true for the people who are saying it. It's not. But but we have to have that story component so that what you do is critically important for women entrepreneurs, especially men need to be able to know how to tell their story, too, because they can sell better. But for this audience and for the conversation at hand, women need to know this. They need to tap into this. This is extremely important. And this is what's going to separate those who have longevity in their entrepreneurship and those who decide that it's just not for them. It's the storytelling. It is. And as a woman, like I said, I've been a storyteller my whole life. I have not always been an entrepreneur, Um, but I do story very differently than most. You know, you'll hear a lot of the, you know, industry storytellers saying you have to X, Y, Z statement. You have to all of that. That doesn't also necessarily work for women. Right. Here's how I do story. I believe in my core that story is like breath. It is a living, breathing thing. So on the exhale part of the story, you have, you know, the result, which looks like your brand marketing, your flag in the ground, what you stand for and all that kind of stuff, right? It's what you're known for. You know, I'm a firefighter. I'm a story alchemist. It's, it's the thing that we're efforting so hard to craft to create that magnetism. The irony, though, 
is we're efforting against this story and mm. we're trying to figure it out. But the answer to what we're looking for is not on the exhale part. It's actually over here on the inhale part. It's your inner story. It's what you believe about yourself, what you believe is possible, what you believe isn't, the precognitive commitments that you've established from the time you were seven, um, mm -hmm. what you've made it mean. Because mm -hmm. the truth is, when we can quarter turn the meaning, because many women, um, I hear this all of the time, they feel like they don't have a voice or they feel like they don't have a voice that's being listened to. Mm -hmm. And that is the inner story. But when you quarter turn that, honest to God, it's like finding the first domino and then all of the other dominoes fall. And that thing that you are efforting so hard to articulate, to um, to magnetize, to to show people what and how you can help them becomes super easy. Mm -hmm. Effortless. Because it's natural. We have the ability to do it. We just have to stop trying to to find the wall to tear down and the other side, mm -hmm. we need to actually look internally and yeah, in the inhale, my gosh, because, the, because here's the thing, the truth is palpable and mm -hmm. you know it when you hear it. Yes. And there's the difference between saying something that's true because nobody lies in their marketing. Hopefully there's a difference between something that's true and the truth. Mm -hmm. When somebody tells you their truth, there is this um, intangible energy exchange. It just, it always happens. And, you know, it is that reciprocity piece mm -hmm. where you actually free up something in the listener so that they can receive your gift. Mm -hmm. And I remember somebody saying to me one time, like fear and, um, and that stress that comes with like fear or being stuck, I'll call it, is the only emotion that doesn't move. Uh, anger moves, joy moves, grief moves, they all move. But that is the only motion that calcifies. And unless you can move it for your people and you move it for your people by being vulnerable with your truth first, mm -hmm. it, it cracks them open and you actually have the ability to change, transform and heal your own audience. Oh, man. Yeah, you set the example. Mm. And then they'll reciprocate. And it's effortless because it's your truth. Wow. Oh my gosh, I could jam on this forever because it's just, it's so, it's deep and it, but it's so real and it's so what's missing. And, and I do interviews on here and, and as I tell all the guests, I open it with, where does your journey start? And I let the guest dictate where that goes because I don't have a preconceived idea of what, or, or framework that I'm trying to put this into. I just want to simply provide the opportunity and provide the space for whoever is ready to start down that road or continue down that road. Now, the only thing with that is that there are, there are entrepreneurs that are so new, but, and they're so surface and I let them stay there. And I, you know, because again, I, this is for them and with them doing this, it, it peels a layer. It will open something up for them and not necessarily to promote their business or get their information out there. It is going to jar something. And that is my biggest hope and wish with this podcast that the women that come on to here that need to learn how to tap into that story. They took a step, not understanding fully what that step was capable of doing, but opening the door. And then they'll be able to realize that the rest of it is their story to tell that story more and keep telling it more and keep, you know, less courses, more telling, you know, less learning, more, more stepping into that role. Yeah. 
Well, the truth is, honestly, you're never going to feel ready. I mean, I've spoken on two TED stages. I I recently spoke at Tribe Live in front of 900 entrepreneurs. At no point I've realized, am I ever going to feel ready, comfortable, um, calm? I'm just not. And so we have to decide, okay, am I going to do it or not do it? Because bravery is just fear in motion. That's that's all it is. Stepping forward. How can how can listeners get a hold of you to learn how to do this? Because your work needs to be out there more. Yeah, I mean, well, I work with people a couple of ways. I have a, a course called Transformational Story Selling, or I do one-on-one work. But if you want to just sort of infuse yourself into my atmosphere, um, the best way to reach me is I have a um, like a freebie. It's a five-second story formula. Um, so if you're ever on like a Facebook Live or you have the opportunity to um, just in the moment, you'll it it will help you not be stuck for something to say, mm-hmm. and it provides a framework that at least can get the dialogue going, so that you can get your foot in the door and you can start sharing more stories. And you can find that at shellyvarella dot com forward slash freebie. Awesome, awesome! I really, really thank you for taking the time to come on here today. This has been um, really open and vulnerable and real, and I appreciate the work you do, because I know how much that's meant to me. I, you know, speaking to the audience, I actually was able to meet you and hear you at Tribe Live. And it was a very riveting talk. It was very, I mean, the room was so quiet, because they were so keyed into what you were saying, and how you were bringing that to the world. So I knew then I wanted you on the podcast, but I wasn't my podcast wasn't even live yet. But I've had amazing stories. come through, but yours grips me. Well, I'll share this with you while we're on the subject. You know, oftentimes I'll hear people say, well, Shelly, I don't have a story or my story doesn't matter. Um, So the year prior at Tribe Live, I was telling people how story works. And I kept hearing that again and again. Well, I don't have this fancy firefighting story, Shelly. I said, you don't like my story because of what it is. You like it because of how I told it. And nobody believed me. So the Mm. following year, I get asked to speak on stage. And I thought, okay, I'm going to show them by not even in mentioning that I'm a firefighter. I'm going to tell this story about how I was bullied as uh, an eight-year-old little girl. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you, um, when you when you heal the storyteller, you get to write a new story. I could tell, I could do an entire other podcast about how my life, my personal life, has profoundly and irrevocably changed as a result of um, doing the work to write that talk and delivering it. That's a conversation for another day. Literally, it will never be the same again in profound ways, profound ways. But what happened was I decided to tell this bullying story. I knew it was a little bit hurty. Um, I had no idea how much stuff I was sitting on to the point where when I started to try and practice um, the story, I thought, you know, Elizabeth Gilbert says you only ever speak from a scar, but never a wound. And I thought, I don't know if I'm going to be able to to deliver this. I don't think I'm going to be able to deliver this. I had to go back to the school. I hadn't been there in 40 years. I fell apart. Oh, wow. I fell apart. But what I will share with you is, you know, again, I've, I've taken two Ted stages. I've told my, my firefighting story or portions thereof on both of them by a factor of 10, this ordinary, I was an eight year old girl who got bullied story was impactful beyond measure, beyond measure. I had um, probably over the, I spoke on the Friday, the the, um, the event was the Saturday and the Sunday afterwards. 
uh, no kidding, had probably 60 to 100 women come to me and tell me, you know, I, I didn't, I've never told anybody this story before, but I want to share it with you. And that, that's the reciprocity piece, right? I gave something, the truth is palpable. People knew that I was giving them like, this is not a story that I've created for Saad. This is this human being standing on this stage with my guts ablazing and you're getting all of it. And you can feel that. And um, the reaction for anybody out there who thinks they don't have a story, that story has literally changed my life and um, changed the trajectory of the work that I'm going to be doing going forward also. And changed the lives of those that were able to hear that story on that particular weekend as well. Those 60 to 100 women, their lives are forever changed because you stepped into being vulnerable and it gave them the opportunity to crack that door open and step in that direction as well. And I guarantee that there will be those that work with you as well as those who maybe don't, but that story is a catalyst for their change, for their movement, for what they are meant to be doing in this world. And that is powerful as an entrepreneur to a level that a lot of entrepreneurs are not, not reaching. A lady said to me this, she said, you know, I feel like I'm bragging when I'm telling my story or, you know, I I feel like an imposter. And I said, when you tell your story properly, it has nothing to do with you. It's Mm -hmm. just the delivery. They hear yours, but they feel theirs. It's just the vehicle of possibility for their story. Yeah. Gosh, such big work. Big work. What's in the future for you? Oh my gosh. Um, I, um, at some point I'm going to be doing a, I wrote a children's book, but I'm going to be writing a book. Good. I'm just sort of crafting what that's going to look like. And, and my gift is seeing your gift and, and helping people um, find their voice, use their voice and change the world and their audience's world with their voice. So mm-hmm. that looks like, you know, again, courses. And, and I, I really do love the deep dive one-on-one coaching. Mm-hmm. I'm not a surface girl, so I like to go all in. <laughs> I'm not either. And, I, and you showed that piece. And so I had to show my card too. It's like, I have to break open the door and have a conversation with this woman. Um, <laughs> so thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Where can, can they find on your website um, more information about what you offer and start that conversation to work with you? Yes. So I'm everywhere in social media. Um, please feel welcome to DM me. I'm not one of those people. Like if you want to send this human being a message, awesome. I'm going to get back to you. So I'm Shelly Varela on um, Instagram, Facebook, um, Twitter, everywhere. You can find me anywhere. Um, all right. All of, my, too. all of my deets are out there. <laughs> awesome. Guys, definitely take her up on this because I reached out to her on Messenger and just said, I would love to have you on the podcast. And she replied to me. So I know that she's authentic, transparent, and the work that she's doing will absolutely change your business. So I I highly encourage you to step out, have the conversation, and as always, keep moving your business forward. Thanks for listening to the Fem Nation podcast. Be sure to check out our show notes for more details from the episode. If you love the show, share it with a friend or drop me a note. I'd love to hear from you over at whitedevgannon.com or find me on social media. Until next time, keep moving forward.